Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. Happy 4th of July. This is one of those Sundays as a pastor, you're really not sure who's going to show up. You're pretty confident you're going to be the only one. You're like, look at the calendar. Yeah, 4th of July. I love the holiday. In Portland, it means rain has stopped officially. And then you look and it's like, it falls on a Sunday. But then this year, I was like, but I've got interns and I can make them be here. So thank you to those of you here and those others who are also here with us this morning. We are glad that you are with us. Uh, for those of you joining us online, if you're new, my name is Matt. I'm the pastor here at Sojourn Church. Um, kind of want to make a joke in the front end as you hear the soundboard kind of spazzing out a little bit. I can hear my mother-in-law in Argentina saying, that is the devil. Get behind me, Satan, when we hear that little spaz kind of hitting and helping. So she might be watching, but she doesn't understand enough English to know what I just said. Uh, one quick announcement I do want to make on the front end is about worship. Uh, we've been praying for a worship leader, like a designated worship leader for a long, long time, like really before the pandemic. And so uh, some of you already know this, but just want to say that our official worship leader is Ben Honeycutt. So that just kind of line up on really it's not about just leading in music although you're very talented and gifted but it's about disciples making disciples and so god really answered that prayer in two ways this summer one he answered it through our intern elena who gladly stepped in who's going to continue to lead throughout july with ben and then uh, god crossed mine and ben's path so we're happy to have you and julia both and look forward to having you as part of that second value sojourn his family so we're looking forward to having you as part of our family and Really, as we get to make disciples and make disciples in the city of Portland, the metro, and beyond. So we're really excited about that. Uh, most of you know that I've previously lived and served in India. And in India, there's a lot of idolatry. Like, just kind of staunch, in-your-face idolatry. And I remember uh, when I, I look back to my time in India, sometimes it would just kind of almost churn my stomach and disgust me. The idol that sticks out the most was one to, I don't remember the name of the idol, but it was to the god of alcohol. And I remember people walking up, sometimes with really cheap bottles, you know, like maybe a Coors Light. Don't ask me why I know why that's cheap. Um, or maybe a really expensive bottle of something. And they would go literally to an idol's mouth and like pour the alcohol in. And so I remember just thinking, man, that one, that's crazy that they would go and do that. Now, as Americans, it's easy to go to a place like India and say, man, they have idols. And that's, that's disgusting. I can't believe they have that. And they're giving money and bowing down and burning incense and doing all of these things. But the reality is before coming to Christ, every single one of us has idols. The reality is after coming to Christ, a lot of us will still struggle and have idols in our lives. They may not be physical like they are in India where we can actually see them, but they are shown through our priorities. They're shown how we spend our time. They're shown through how we spend our money. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Pastor Kim Keller explains. He says, what is an idol? He says, it's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give, you what only God can give. How can you identify these idols? How can you tell if you are worshiping a counterfeit God? Keller goes on to say, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. So that's how he defines an idol in your life. So I want us to kind of do heart surgery this morning, kind of open our hearts, open our lives, open our minds. Regardless if you've been in church your whole life or if you're kind of new to church or return to church, it doesn't matter that all of us go, okay, God, do surgery on this morning. Or do I have idols in my heart? What are those idols? Because what we're going to see this morning is that Christ wants to come in and he wants to do with us what he does with the sailors on the ship that are headed to Tarshish with Jonah. 
I call him the, the idol-smashing God. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. As that God comes in and he smashes our idols. Because, you know, we live in a culture that says every path is leading to the same path. You know, whether you're an atheist or whether you're an agnostic or whether you're a Buddhist or a Hindu, they all kind of lead the same thing. And God's like, no, the God of the Bible is like, that is actually not work. I come in and I smash the rest of those idols. I come in and smash the rest of those religions. And so it actually doesn't work that way. So I'd be doing a disservice if I said that to you. As Christians, we do a disservice to people when we actually refuse to tell them, like, no, our God and our Bible actually says there's only one way. Okay, if you were here for the sermon tonight, you saw that. And so I think that the, the least loving thing we could do is go, you know what, you're right. I mean, that seems to work. Does it mean we have to do it in a, a controversial way or when it's slamming them, like God smash their idols? You don't have to smash their idols. But just, just to not to tell them would be the least loving thing that you could do if we actually believe the Word of God, if we actually believe Jesus' Word. Because that's what we're going to look at this morning, that Christ wants to come in. He wants to break the idols of our lives, and he wants to rely, teach us to rely solely on his grace, the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, in the previous section, if you were with us the last two weeks, we examined the massive problem of Jonah's rebellion against God's command. The Lord had commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he went the opposite way. In the same way, God's commanded every single one of us, if you are a Christian, that with this thing called the Great Commission, that we are to go and to make disciples. We're going to do that here in our, our neighborhoods, our communities, our cities. We're going to do this all over the country. We're going to do this all over the world. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Nate Jordan preached for us last week. We saw how Jonah's rebellion created this problem for him. And for all the sailors on the ship, they didn't, his rebellion and his sin didn't just affect him. You ever thought about that when you're in a season of maybe being far from God? You know, it said Jonah was fleeing the presence of the Lord. So it's possible this morning, maybe someone here is fleeing the presence of the Lord. Well, it doesn't only affect your life. It's going to affect the life of all of those people around you as well. Your family, your community, your friends. Maybe people you don't even know. Jonah didn't know these sailors. That was just his exit strategy to get away from doing what God called him to do. But we saw that God's mercy is massive. And what the storm actually tells us is that God spares no expense in going after those who run away from him. And so this week, we're going to look at uh, the passage that turns actually focuses a little bit on the sailors. We've seen they've been crying out to their false gods and saying, you know, they're trying anything they can to get the storm to stop because it's a crazy, awful storm. They even hurl their cargo over to save themselves from this intense tempest. But the storm does not stop with their praying. They're praying, you know, have you ever been there? You're like trying anything. You're at your wit's end. It's been a long week, and you're like, shoot, you know, I don't even know. You know, I, I think a lot of times about, I'm picking my wife for a minute. You know, she grew up in a very Catholic culture. And so I think about my wife. Maybe she would get in a moment of desperation, and she'd be like, you know what? I don't think the Catholics are completely right, but I'm going to do the whole thing just in case because, you know, I just can't. I think about a mom with a young baby. I just can't get the baby to stop crying. Would you please sleep? You know, that was always Andrea because I was a heavy sleeper and she uh, always had to wake me up. So I, I got a lot of sleep and she did not. But the storm does not stop with them praying out to their idols. The storm does not stop as they're seeking other things. And what the Lord has done is he smashed all their hopes in their idols. God's showing them, go ahead, it's not going to work. Your gods are useless. So God uses this opportunity to show them, go ahead, like God gives us that freedom. Seek rest in other things. Seek peace in other things. Go ahead and, and, and do it. But it's not going to fulfill you the way that you think. And so God's not done yet. For the sailors, he's going he's to continue to see as they set their other idols and their other self-efforts. They're going to attempt to find their own salvation. And what we're going to see is that this morning, God's going to come in and God's going to be intentional about smashing their idols just as he is intentional about smashing the idols in your life. And in his great mercy, God will intensify the storm and bring the sailors to the brink of death in order to save them. Nate looked at that for us a little bit last week. 
You know, I, I know there, there is this real thing of spiritual warfare. You know, I kind of joked about even the soundboard. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But sometimes there might be something happening in your life. And you might go, God, why is this happening? And that might actually be happening in the, as God's mercy and grace to you. Because maybe you found your, yourself on this path. Right? We talk about this path of everyone coming to uh, being on a path to learn what it means to follow Jesus. And we're all on the path. Maybe you're on this wayward path. And you're trying to do like Jonah and flee the presence of God. And so God might say, you know, I'm actually going to allow you to go through this trial. I'm going to allow you to go through this tribulation. I'm going to allow you to go through this struggle as part of my mercy and evidence of my mercy and grace in your life in order to actually bring you back. And so the main idea of our sermon this morning is that we're going to see God's threat of judgment and death increasing. The storm turns the sailors from their self-efforts and from their salvation in themselves to a real conversion. And yet we're going to see God still be merciful to Jonah. Jonah, who's received God's mercy and grace time and time and time again, who doesn't really deserve it, and yet God will send a fish to rescue Jonah. So go ahead and turn in your Bible, if you haven't already, to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 17. Nate covered verse through verse 10 last week. I will actually go back and read verses 7 through 10 as part of it. So Jonah chapter 1, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the text itself. God, we thank you for this beautiful 4th of July morning. God, I know that people don't always see the, the freedom that we have in the United States. God, the reality is we're, we're, not a, we're a broken country. We've seen that a lot in the last year and a half to two years. But God, as I've traveled the world, I also would say that we are a country that experiences freedom more than most. God, part of that is in our religious freedom. God, the fact that we can come in here this morning, the fact that we put a sign out front letting people know that this is what we're doing. God, there's a lot of parts of the world that can't happen. So God, I want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted areas. God, as we give them strength, you give them peace. God, you tell us that, that judgment is, or, uh, that uh, persecution is normal. And so, God, I, I pray that you give them the strength to endure the persecution. And God, if and when it comes in our lifetime in our own country, that you would give us that same strength. But God, for this time, we praise you and thank you for the freedom that we have. God, I pray that your spirit would be evident here and speak to every single one of us. God, may your word not return void in your name. Amen. All right, Jonah chapter 1, 7 through 10. I'm just going to read it real quick, kind of give a recap from Nate's sermon, and then we'll go into seven, uh, 11 through 17. Verse 7, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what of the people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men who were exceedingly afraid said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. All right, so to recap Nate's sermon from last week, just real quick. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they're, they're all like up there trying. Remember, Jonah's sleeping. So if you're that person who's just like, oh, I'm just going to sleep. Maybe he was resting in Jesus better than most of us. Because he's just sleeping in the middle of this storm. And he comes and he tells them, I am a Hebrew. That meant something. That meant that he was a follower of Yahweh, the God who had done great and mighty works in the life of the nation of Israel. And the sailors were exceedingly afraid. As this storm is, is, is happening, you know, imagine if you've ever been in a tornado, if you've ever been in a, in a hurricane, you know, it's like, you are fearful of what's going to happen. And they realized that moment, they, they were at the mercy of God. Not their gods, the God, the, the Yahweh, the God of Jonah. And God brings mercy and grace to Jonah, the sailors, and ultimately people of Nineveh, and today to you and to me. So let's pick up verse 11. It says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. 
Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. I'm just going to stop right there. Like, can you imagine if something was happening in our city? You're like up on one of our bridges and you're like, listen, I'm the reason. Just hurl me off the bridge into the Willamette. And you're going to be like, what? No, 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 no. We, we're not going to be like, no, promise you. I promise you. So I can imagine them being like, okay, we're not sure who you are and maybe you are the reason, but we're not going to throw you into the sea. Like, that would be murder. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so Jonah comes in. At this point, he tells them, I know what you need to do. Okay, I know I was sleeping. You've woken me up. I'm a Hebrew. It's, it's my God is causing this, allowing this. You need to throw me over in order to be saved. So the natural response could have been, let's just hurl him over. But the, but the, the, um, the sailors instead, they actually showed more care for Jonah than Jonah had shown for them. Because by Jonah fleeing the presence of the Lord and getting on that ship, he knew he was putting them at risk. He knew he was putting them in danger, right? So he has no care for them. Meanwhile, the sailors are like, okay, we're just going to work harder than what we've already been doing. And so notice that Jonah recognizes. He even confesses he is the reason for the storm. He says, look, guys, it's my fault. My bad. I'm going to take one for the team. I know that I caused this to come upon us. Tossed me overboard. But also notice this. He recognizes it's himself, but he actually refuses to repent. We don't see him repent. We don't see him say sorry. We don't see him say, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me. Guys, can we turn the ship around? I actually need to go in the opposite direction. We don't see him do that. And so have you ever found yourself there? Have you ever found yourself recognizing some wrong or sin in your life? Maybe you're intentionally fleeing the presence of the Lord. But out of your stubbornness and hardness of your heart, you refuse to repent. I know I've had seasons in my life. I can remember when I was probably about 12 years old. I don't know why this thing's out. And I was at a church service with some of those folks who were from North Carolina last week. And I can just remember being like, I'm done with this. I'm over it. You know, I grew up in church, whatever. And I just remember doing this, which is kind of like, that's a normal posture for me because I grew up Baptist. You know, so I'm just doing this right here. And just like, I got them done. You know, I had been running from the Lord. And I just remember the Spirit of God just kind of like washing over me and just almost hugging me and saying, it's okay, son. I've got you. I love you. And this is my life. People wearing fire robes and a traditional hymns and stuff, right? God uses that just as much as he uses Maverick City and whatever other songs we were singing this morning. But God just kind of said, you know, come here. But have you ever found yourself there? Where it's like you found yourself in a situation that's your own doing, but you almost blame God. You have this hardest part and you refuse to repent. This is where Jonah is at at this point in his life. Let me tell you, this is a very dangerous place to be as a follower of Jesus. Because it will continue to take you to places that you never imagined you would go. You kind of go down this path, and you and you kind of go, I'm going to go further from God, further from God, further from God. I want to get away from the presence of the Lord. Remember, Jonah prior to this was at the top of his game. This is that guy who would be reading his books and listening to the podcast and going to hear him speak. And here he is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And in fact, we don't see Jonah repent anywhere in this chapter. We don't see Jonah repent anywhere in the book of Jonah, for that matter. Rather, we see him remain in his disobedience and his rebellion. So how's that for the legacy of a prophet who was previously at the top of his game? How, how is that for the legacy of that, that now, here we are in 2021, and we're, we're, we're sitting here focusing on Jonah? Oh, man, that, that's kind of sad that he never repented, never left his rebellion. And so the sailors find themselves in this situation. The storm is crazy. Supposedly, if they throw this guy overboard, the storm will stop. And it's getting worse by the minute. And so the Pharaoh, what do we do? Have you ever been there? Where you found yourself needing a solution quickly? Like, like, I just imagine a water busting, you know, and water's all over your floor. Now, we got to get this thing off, shut off somehow. So you ever found yourself there? Like, I need an answer. It's getting worse. Maybe it's just the storms of life. Maybe you're going through one of those this morning. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. Maybe it's with your family or maybe it's with your job or maybe it's your friends. It's worse and worse and worse. And you're just, you need a solution. This is probably where the expression, when it rains, it pours, comes from. 
right? Where you go through something, you're like, oh no, is this gonna set off like the trigger of events and what's happening? So the sailors probably found themselves there, like, okay, we got this boat, the storm's starting, let's throw some stuff over, or okay, let's go harder. No, it's not working. And as we see the response of the sailors, it appears that these sailors clearly care more about Jonah than Jonah does for them. Which is why they row even harder to get back to dry land. They've already been rowing. So what do they do? Jonah says, look guys, I'm the reason. Throw me overboard. And they say, okay, we're going to try to do harder what we've already been doing. Do you ever find yourself there? We're like, okay, I know this isn't working, but I'm going to try to do it just a little bit harder. You know, this is why I always try to be careful because I, I, I know kind of the, um, the style of preaching I can have. Like sometimes they come across like pull up your bootstraps and really it's the complete opposite. I want you to rest in Jesus. Okay, so don't be trying harder to do these things. Um, it's not really sure who actually said this because online it gave a little controversial, but you probably heard this quote before. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And so these these sailors are kind of doing you know, experiencing insanity. They're like, okay, we've rowed really, really hard, and it's getting worse. No, we don't want to throw this We're going to row even, even harder. And so what they eventually do is they throw cargo overboard. But even that doesn't work. Then let's lighten the load. Let's throw some other things overboard. Surely, Jonah, you're probably, what, 2, 210? We'll throw a couple of uh, things of cargo overboard, and we'll be good. No, the storm continues to get worse. And so don't miss the power of this picture that Colin Smith points out. He said, God has spoken through the prophet, promising deliverance from the storm of judgment to the entire crew through the sacrifice of one man who is willing to lay down his life. But these men think that they can save themselves by their own effort. They believe that they can survive the storm without the sacrifice. As a church, let me say to you, the storm of God's judgment is stronger than you are. You and I do not have the ability to survive the storms of life on our own. Although we try, and we try, and we try, but no matter how hard you try, it won't work. And so stop relying on yourself. Come to Jesus. You ever heard that kind of phrase? I had to come to Jesus moment, <laughs> right? So come to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. The storm of God's judgment will wreck you. But it's not to wreck you in the sense that you think that God's going to you know, come in and I imagine a wrecking ball smash us. But it's in God's mercy and grace because he loves you. And unless you are saved by the sacrifice of someone else, that someone being Jesus Christ. And so think about it. On the cross, Jesus gave his life to deliver you from God's righteous judgment against your sin. Right? Your is key there. Your sin. And Christ was thrown into the storm of God's judgment so that through his sacrifice you would be saved. That's the offer presented to every single one of us today. That you can actually be saved from these storms. It doesn't say that storms of life are going to get easier, but that you have somebody you can rest in who will take care of those storms for you. Because you too can be saved, just like these sailors were saved. The sailors recognize that their idols do not work. Okay, they kind of they're slow. They're like me, right? They're a slow learner. Okay, this is like my friend group. We're like, oh, maybe we try something different. We've been trying the same thing for a long time. And so they've learned that, okay, our gods aren't working. Our idols aren't working. We threw cargo over it. It's not working. We need a solution as soon as possible. And Jonah tells them about his creator, God. Jonah tells them about Yahweh. It's almost like evangelism out of spite as he is fleeing the presence of God. Right? So it's almost like he's still doing the will of God. Like, I'm going to go and tell them about Jesus. That actually wasn't his goal and motivation. But he's like, listen, guys, let me just tell you about Jesus, okay? And, and this is what Jesus can do. And look how the sailors respond. Verses 14 and 15. It says, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. And so the sailors at this point have come up aware of their inability to save themselves. And so they stopped calling on their gods, and now they call on the God Yahweh to save them. And so we see the posture of their hearts shift and change. 
from trying in all of their gods to now turning to the God, the God that Jonah just told them about, who, once again, it's kind of weird, right? He's fleeing the presence of the Lord, and he's like, look, if you just follow this God, things will be okay, and the storm will stop. So even our flawed and failed, our flawed and failed effort, efforts, God uses. That's why I was saying I'm failing forward in life. Right? I'm going to talk to my interns here for a minute. I know this summer like, you came to meet people and you want to share, like, man, we love Jesus. We're passionate about Jesus. And some of you are like, man, I never met that many people. I'm going to do that. God's going to still use that. Playing spike ball and all these other things, God's still going to use it, even if you feel like he's not going to use it. So we see these sailors become aware of their inability. Whereas previously they prayed to all these other gods. They tried that, right? They tried to pray to all these other gods. Now they're praying to the Lord God of Yahweh. And astounding the pagan sailors, not Jonah, are concerned with the lives of other people. Because they're going, man, if this is what, if this is going to work, then we're going to turn to this one God. And they see what they must do in order to please God. They stop calling them false gods. They stop looking for solution with lots. Remember, they're doing kind of lots, figure out who it was. They stop rolling, and they throw Jonah into the sea. So at this point, they pick up Jonah, and they heave him over. They're probably like, oh, our arms are so tired, and they're just laying in the boat. And you're probably thinking, right, if you're a sailor at this point, you're thinking, there's no way this is going to work. I mean, this storm, our boat's rocking, the water's getting in. You're like thinking, there's no way, but we're going to try it. We're that desperate. And so verse 15, they picked up Jonah and throw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Can you imagine that? Like, I get seasick if we just go out just a little bit, but most doing this. So I'd be like, throwing people out right away. If you told me it would make me not vomit everywhere, I'd be like, throwing you out. Here's a life jacket. So they throw Jonah out, and the sea ceases. It's raging. So the sailors' actions right now are in harmony with God's actions. As God hurled the wind onto the the wind on the sea to start the storm, now the sailors have thrown Jonah into the sea to stop the storm. And as soon as they do it, the storm ceases. And so in an instant, the Lord's wrath is gone from being over them. The moment they stop putting forth effort and instead rely on God's solution. Right? They stopped their own effort at that moment. And just, they focused on God and the solution that he offers. So this morning, if you're focusing on your own effort and you find yourself frustrated, there's a reason. Because you're operating in your own strength. But focus on the solution that God has offered. This is really the difference between works and faith. If you look at kind of a, you know, there's, there's a, a group out there and you have to work and do all these things. And there's this checklist that you have to attain to it a certain way. And then like, well, maybe you'll get salvation. No, no, no. That's what other religions tell us to do. That's not what Christianity tells us to do. Christianity is completely opposite. We have faith in the work, the finished work of Jesus. And then we can freely come to that. Jesus has open arms. says, come to me where you will find rest. And so the sailors stop working in their own strength. They have faith in God. And as a result, these men experience real conversion. Conversion that can only come through the God of the Bible. And so what about you this morning? Are you still trying to earn your salvation? Are you still working to please God? You know, I think about this idea, and I'm, I'm really not being critical here because we all do it, but I think about this idea of deconstruction, right? And, and once again, we all do it. So I'm not criticizing all of deconstruction. But I think sometimes deconstruction is because you were trying to please God on your own, and then you start piecing it apart. And it's like you're piecing apart your own thoughts. You're piecing your, apart your own, maybe your own interpretation. You're piecing apart how, how you thought it was supposed to go. And maybe that was your church you grew up in, and maybe that was the denomination you grew up in, maybe it was the tribe that you grew up in. But it's like, open the word of God and study what God actually says. Like, deconstruct your background. Deconstruct your denomination. Deconstruct your tribe. Deconstruct your own kind of personality and bent and your Enneagram and your Myers-Briggs and all of those things. But focus on the God of the Bible and the solution that you can find in Him where you will find rest. 
And so this morning, the invitation for you, Sojourn, is to hurl your own efforts into the sea. Rest in the finished work of Jesus as your Savior, where you can find salvation in Him alone. Colin Smith again says, All of this shines a light on how the death of Christ is a demonstration of God's love for us. We crucify the Son of God. That's our guilt in the sacrifice. Yet He chose to lay down His life for us. That is our salvation through the sacrifice. And so Jonah is what some refer to as a shadow-like figure of Jesus. So one of the major differences between Jonah and Jesus, right? Think about the Old Testament. A lot of times our generation kind of avoids the Old Testament. Even pastors at my age, like, New Testament, we're like, I can operate in that. It makes a little more sense. Old Testament's a little more challenging. So that's why you've noticed, like, Advent, we went through Ruth. For summer, we're going through Jonah. I'm trying to force myself to go back through. And, because every single uh, portion of the Bible should actually point to Jesus, does actually point to Jesus. The Bible is just one big story. It's not all these broken up stories. One big story. It's all pointing to Jesus. So what are the major differences between Jesus and Jonah? Well, Jonah was thrown into the sea on account of his own sins. Jesus was nailed to the cross on account of your sins and mine. Those are the major differences. Look at verse 16. It says, These men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So what started out as a general fear back in verse 5, it grew into an intense fear in verse 10, where they're going, all right, God, what are, or what are we going to do? And that, that fear matured into what is reverent worship of the Lord. And so we see these men place their faith in the death of a prophet to stop God's wrath. You know, they're going to join in the scene, they're like, this guy's going to die. There's no way. I mean, we're going to die if we keep men here, but he's going to die if we throw him out there. And so their faith in the death of the prophet to stop God's wrath, and their faith produces corresponding actions of fear. This is real conversion as they have this faith in the death of a prophet. And so we see the Lord comes in, he first smashes their idols of self-effort. They're rowing harder and trying, which allowed them to see there's only one true solution. And that solution is the experience of their conversion as they focus on Yahweh. And then finally, verse 17. We see, yeah, God again comes in, right? So we kind of focus on the sailors. God comes in, he smashes their idols, he shows them that they can't do it in their own efforts. And then he loves them, and they turn to, to, to Yahweh. Right? So we could just be done with Jonah at this point, right? Jonah's in the sea. He's going to drown. He's going to die. He may not go to swimmer. But no, yet again, God shows his mercy to Jonah, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And then Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now pay attention to the use of the word appoint there, because we're going to see it come up here uh, three more times in, in chapter 4 in just a couple weeks. Now, a point, in a, it implies that God is sovereign, and he's sovereign over all of creation. That would include the fish, that would include Jonah, that would include the sailors, that would include you and me. And Jonah, we see he learned the hard way, that he's actually not autonomous like he thought. He learned he's not actually sovereign over his life, right? We think that we're autonomous beings. We think that we are sovereign over our own lives. A lot of times because we think we are God, right? If we're honest. But this shows us that we're not, and that God is actually the one who is over all things. And so when we learn from this example that we're we may avoid learning the hard way for ourselves. Although that my hunch is that some of us, myself included, will oftentimes have to learn the hard way. And go through the hard way to look more like Jesus. Once again, sometimes that hard way is, is God's mercy and grace that he's showing us that. Now when you think of the fish here, we can't think of the fish as, as we think what we might go out and catch in the Willamette or the Columbia. Although I've never had much luck catching fish here. Maybe it's just too close to the city. I uh, catch more boots than anything else. But... You can't think of a fish in that sense, right? Because we think of that and we think, there's no way that a fish could swallow a man. So we can't name a creature with fins and, and gills. But the Hebrew word dag is a general word used for aquatic beast. So you think about a whale. And so a, a fish could swallow a man, but a whale, like a sperm whale, could swallow a man whole. In fact, it was a humpback whale that swallowed the lobster diver. Now in his mouth, it didn't actually swallow him down, but swallowed the lobster diver just a few weeks ago. 
that's actually smaller than the sperm whale. So we have two whales that we're pretty confident can swallow any of us in this room whole in their mouth. And then we see the three days and three nights, it may be symbolic for a time of, of dying and rising again. And more likely describes the actual number of days or parts of days according to accepted reckoning of days at the time. And so some have said it's impossible. It's impossible for a fish to swallow a man. And if that's your take, you're actually right. Because it's a miracle for something like that to take place. For God to cause a fish, a whale, to come up. I mean, it's God. He could, he could actually cause a fish, right? He made a shrink or do something like that. But imagine that we get to stay our full size. And so for the whale would have to be a little bit bigger to swallow me than it would most of you. And so the whale could come out. And God can cause that to happen. It's a miraculous event. Once again, we've said this every single week. If, if, if those Christians believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that uh, he parted the Red Sea, that Jesus died and came back to life three days later, I mean, come on, like the whole whale thing, fish thing, is not that big of a stretch. Once again, the point of the series isn't to convince you that it actually happened. I don't really care if you believe it or didn't. It doesn't change the fact of the story and what it's pointing to in Jesus. And so the issue is not whether or not the miracle could happen. The issue is what is going on with the fish and the three days and the three nights? Right? What, what's going on? That's where I'm like, what is Jonah doing? When he's in that, he's, uh, I mean, it's, it's really dark. I mean, if you've ever been to the, the caves up at Mount St. Helens, we went one time with a family and didn't realize the caves were there. We're like, this is really cool. We go through these caves. We only had a phone with a light, you know? So we're like getting back there, and you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark. So I imagine it's really dark. Probably smelled really bad, too. Probably had a lot of time to reflect on what was happening and, okay, am I still alive? It clearly is in heaven, not how I thought it would be. Am I in hell? Like, what is going on here? But it naturally has associations of return from, from death or near-death-like experience, which is perhaps what Jesus likened the time of his own death and resurrection to Jonah's time of the fish. Matthew 12, 40. It says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Theologian James Bruckner, it's kind of a long one, but I just couldn't think of a better way to kind of... Um, wrap up this, this, this passage, this portion of the passage. He said, Jesus did perfectly what Jonah also had temporarily accomplished. Both were from Galilee. Jonah struggled with his call to preach. Jesus struggled to do the will of the Father in the desert at Gethsemane. Both preached God's message of judgment and reconciliation to the marginalized and to the sinners. Both chose death forsaken by others. Both bore and removed the consequences of sin from others. Both caused the storm to cease after slipping through it. Jonah through repentance. Jesus through his divinity. Jonah entered the jaws of the fist. Jesus entered the jaws of the grave. Both were kept for three days, both raised up again by the Father. Jonah's obedience and preaching led to the conversion of a great city, and Jesus' obedience led to the conversion of many cultures of the world. And so we saw this morning that the threat of death and judgment in this increasing storm turned the sailors from their self-efforts of salvation. And even though we don't see Jonah repent here, we see that God still has mercy on Jonah by sending a fish to swallow him so he doesn't drown in the sea, right? Given the alternative, drowning in the sea versus being in the belly of a fish for three, three days, three nights, right? I'd probably take the fish in that case. And think about one of the most helpful lessons when you look at the story of Jonah. At this point, it's, it's kind of an obvious one. You can't outrun God. You can't outrun God's mercy. You can't outrun God's grace. And so in some ways, I'd say, go ahead and try. Right? God is God. So sometimes when I see a friend, maybe grow up in church with me, or you know, pastorally, if I see some of you, and I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? And there's part of that, you know, because I want to I care for people. But there's also part of it, like, go ahead, I can handle it. God's a big boy. <laughs> right? It's God. So you can't outrun God. You, you, you can try all you want, but I will tell you this, the longer you outrun God, the easier it's going to be whenever you just embrace God, and you rest in God. So it's futile to try. It's impossible to pace his pursuing affection of you, because God loves you. That's what I want you to hear this morning. 
God loves you. God has mercy on you. God has grace on you in time and time and time again. And so it doesn't matter this morning how you self-identify. It doesn't matter how much you don't want to be interfered with. Right? I don't think Jonah wanted to be interfered with. Jonah was living his best life now. And he was like, I don't want to go to this call. I've done all the other calls, God. So it doesn't matter that you don't want to be interfered with. It doesn't matter how much you think you've made a wreck of your life. Okay? We might all be in different places this morning. It doesn't matter how much you've been turning to your idols in your life. Even maybe this morning. It doesn't matter. What does matter is the reckless love of God, which is freely offered you this morning. Okay? I don't know if we're singing that song, but when I was like, reckless love of God. Right? So here's how we're going to respond this morning. First, those of us who are in Christ, we're going to have an opportunity to respond in communion. Now, you guys know I'm not a big fan of these little cups, but COVID made us adapt them and adopt them, but eventually we'll get away from them. But for the time being, we're still using these little cups. If you didn't get one, let us know. We have some available. Most of you got them. But we're going to respond in communion, or sometimes what's called the Lord's Supper. And this is where we're reminded again what it was that Christ did for us. In our rebellion, in our sin, in our shame, in our brokenness, as we were fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And so when you take this little wafer on top here, and when, when you and you eat that, and I think about when it crunches in your mouth. That's what I do like about these, is they're hard when it crunches. I think about Christ's body that was broken. Literally, for you and for me and for the sins of the world, for Jonah, for the Ninevites, for the sailors, for all of us, for the Portlanders, for the Oregonians, that's broken for us on the cross. The sacrifice that we could not do. And then when you take the juice, this reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for your sins and for mine. And so whenever Ben and Elena come back up to lead us in the first song, I want you to take a moment to reflect. Don't feel like you have to rush through this. That's part of the reason I don't usually lead us through it. Some churches do that. Because I want you to take a moment to reflect. I don't know what God's saying to you this morning. I don't know what's going on in your heart. You might realize you do have an idol in your life. You might realize there's something you need to repent of this morning. I want to give you that space and provide that for you. So don't feel like you have to rush into it and just peel it off and take it back and be done with it. You know, wait till the second song if you need to. Wait till the songs are over and we're packing up. Take the time that you need to, to talk to the Lord. Allow the, the Lord to, to deal with you this morning. But when you are ready, take it at your own pace. Second, for those of you who don't know Jesus this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. By simply returning to Jesus and praying, Jesus, I'm tired of running from you. I recognize my need for you. For my need for my forgiveness of sins, I give myself to you from this day forward. Amen. It's as simple as that. So some of you might say, I just need prayer. Maybe something that came up this morning. So I will be in the back if you feel like you need prayer from somebody. But then we'll respond in this way as we're reminded again of what Christ has done. Because we forget it every single week, don't we? I say this often, but sometimes it's when you leave the front door. Sometimes it's as you go down the steps. Sometimes it's when you get a block away. You see someone do something you didn't like and have a bad thought or action or you know, whatever it is. We forget. We forget. Some of us very, very quickly. And so when we come together, when you get to take communion, reminded what Christ has done for us. Remember it again as an act of worship. So that's what it is this morning. It's an act of worship. We're going to worship through song. We're going to worship through taking up communion or being reminded what Christ did. We're going to worship through prayer. And then we'll be dismissed. So let me pray for us. They'll come back up. God, I thank you again that we can gather as your church. God, as your bride. God, we find ourselves like Jonah, oftentimes running from the call in our lives, even after we're already in Christ, even after we already love you and serve you. 
So God, I think this, there's a message for every single one of us this morning. That we can't outpace you, we can't outrun you, but God, that we, you do love us. God, that we get to experience your reckless love. That would send your son to the cross to take on our sin, our guilt, our shame. And God, to rise again to new life. And so God, may we rest in that truth this morning. We give this time over to you as an act of worship. It's in your name, by your power, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website.